Well, friends, in that Bible reading from Luke, there's lots and lots of things in there about God, isn't there? Lots of really great things. Uh, He's described as one who blesses. He's a saviour. He's merciful. He helps. God's faithful. Terrific things. But what's particular about these verses is who God treats like this. I don't know if you noticed it as it was read. Uh, Hopefully you've read it before you've come here this morning. But there are some people in these verses who don't share in the goodness of God. And the goodness of God spoken of in here really is spectacular. You don't want to miss out, but there are some who do miss out. And it's the proud. The ones who don't miss out, it's the humble. The two main sections in our verses here this morning and in both sections we're given an example of people who are humble and so they share in the goodness of God. And we're meant to take our cue from these two examples. The first example given to us is Mary. We actually saw her humility last week. Uh, Hopefully you remember Gabriel comes. uh, He gives Mary the astonishing news that she'll be the mother of uh, the new king of Israel and in humility she just accepted that wonderful news and ran with it so remember verse 38 look at it there i am the lord's servant mary answered may it be to me as you have said it really is terrific humility and from verse 39 the emphasis is that mary is someone who enjoyed the blessing of god verse 39 at that time mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of judea where she entered zachariah's home and greeted elizabeth When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. In these verses, Mary's clearly blessed, isn't she? Uh, You've got verse 42, Elizabeth saying Mary's blessed among women. Verse 43, Elizabeth considers it an honour to be visited by one so blessed as Mary. Then in verse 45, Elizabeth repeats that Mary is blessed. It's a lot of blessing. But, But what does it all mean? What does it mean to be blessed? The word simply means to enjoy God's favour. It's for God to be giving good things to someone. And from these verses, Mary's very blessed. She's uh, been enjoying God's extraordinary goodness. But how? Well, from last week, it's simply that she's going to give birth to the coming king, the long-awaited eternal world ruler. It's going to be Mary's boy. But Mary's blessedness is that she's caught up in the very pinnacle of God's saving work in the world. When I was 14, I used to go and uh, go down to the local rugby field and uh, with my mates and we'd go and play footy. I would just play at one end of the field and we would literally lose hours. It was terrific. One day we were down there and some very big guys came down to do some rugby training. We just quietly minded our own business, stuck up one end of the field, doing what we wanted to do, until one of them came over and asked us if we could help them train. I, for one, was pretty nervous. I wasn't the biggest 14-year-old going around. And compared to some of these guys, I literally didn't even come up to their chest. They were mountains. It turns out they were some of Australia's best rugby players. They'd come to the ground to train before a big competition in Brisbane. And so there was little old me with my mates playing rugby, kind of, with some of the best players in Australia. We had no idea they'd show up. We hadn't won any competition to be there with them. Just given the opportunity to train with some of Australia's best rugby players, caught up in something great, 
by no doing of our own. Like Mary, caught up in something great, by no doing of her own. She hadn't done anything to deserve to be right at the centre of things, but by God's grace, she's in the thick of God's plans for the world. Caught up in something big, the coming of the king. She's going to be his mother. It's an astonishing example of God lifting up the humble. And Mary thought it was astonishing too. Verse 46. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And Mary's beside herself here. Just note the sheer joy and wonder in what she says. Verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. God himself is Mary's delight. He's captured her heart and her mind. To be blessed by God, to enjoy his favor, that brings great joy. But from verse 50, Mary's attention moves away from God's goodness to her and instead turns to God's goodness to Israel. This is the second example of God sharing his goodness with the humble. Mary speaks of God showing mercy to Israel. But not all Israel. I'll read from verse 50. Note who it is exactly who will receive the mercy and the goodness of God. Verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. There's lots of good things in these verses, isn't there? God's going to be merciful to people. He's going to lift them up. He's going to fill them. He's going to do it through Christ. Because remember, Mary's saying all these words in response to God making her the mother of the coming king. But which people exactly will receive God's mercy and help? Well, in verse 50, it's those who fear him. In verse 52, it's the humble. Verse 53, it's the hungry. Verse 54, it's his servant Israel. They're the ones who will share in the mercy of God in Christ. In this second example of people sharing in the goodness of God, it's the humble people of Israel. That'll enjoy God's mercy. But please note also the theme of reversal in these verses. So in verse 51, the proud will be brought down, but the humble will be lifted up. In verse 53, the rich will go hungry, but the hungry, they'll be filled. Now exactly who the rich were that Jesus sent away, and who the proud were that he brought low, And who the humble were that he lifted up, well, we just have to keep reading Luke. We haven't got time for that. I'm going to leave you to do that for yourself. But for now, just simply note that theme of reversal. Proud will be brought low. Humble will be lifted up. Because that wasn't only true for Israel and the other people that Jesus mingled with when he was on earth. It's still true today. God still brings down the proud. And God still lifts up the humble. And we're going to think about us being humble or proud before the Lord in a moment. But Mary's not done yet. She's got more to say about God's mercy to the humble of Israel through Christ. Uh, From verse 54, Mary now speaks of how God will be merciful to them. And he's going to do it by keeping his promises to them. All the words of promise that God had said to the fathers of Israel, 
God in Christ is now going to keep those promises. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. God said back in the Old Testament that he'd come and help Israel. He said to Israel's fathers that he'd come and save those who were humble before him. And in verse 54 and 5, Mary says that with the coming of her child, with the coming of the Christ, those promises are about to be fulfilled. Now, this idea of God fulfilling his promises, it's not a new one. God's been doing it all the way through the Old Testament, right down through the ages. I mean, he brought Israel out of Egypt according to his promise. He got them into the promised land. He gave them glorious kings over and over again. God kept keeping his promise. Each time it was really, really good. But this time with Jesus, it's going to be even better. Because with Jesus, we come to the end. All the other fulfillments along the way were like little rehearsals getting ready for Jesus. A little bit like a wedding rehearsal. I remember my oldest brother's uh, wedding rehearsal. I was 18. I loved having a laugh, loved trying to uh, make jokes. And uh, all through the rehearsal, I kept cracking jokes with my brothers. They were in the bridal party as well. We had a great time. It was really cool. Uh, Annette walked down the aisle, my brother's wife-to-be. She walked down the aisle. David and Annette, they uh, practiced their wedding vows. Uh, we went through where we're all meant to stand at which particular points in the ceremony. Mind you, I couldn't remember a thing because I was having too much fun. Now, the rehearsal, it was a good time. It was a good time. Nothing, though, compared to the next day. The actual wedding day saw Annette in her wedding dress. The groomsmen, we looked like penguins. Uh, the saying of the vows, it was actual, it was real. The reality of the wedding day, it was far greater than the rehearsal. And the reality of God's fulfilment of his promises in Christ, far greater than the rehearsals of God's fulfilments in the Old Testament. The Old Testament rehearsed the great saving acts of God, but the great reality of God's salvation has come in Jesus. And the rest of Luke makes it clear that Jesus achieved this great fulfillment, this great salvation through his own death and resurrection. It's in him rising from the dead that Jesus fulfilled the promises of God. So, for example, not a mere symbolic forgiveness of sins like Israel had with their sacrificing of lambs and bulls, but the actual forgiveness of sins through the sacrifice of Christ himself. Not just the symbol of God's presence in the temple, but the actual presence of God with Christ himself and then the pouring out of his spirit. Not just a symbol of God's land for his people with a flimsy piece of coast off the Mediterranean Sea, but a whole new creation that is coming for his people to live in forever. And not just a people of God restricted to one particular nation on earth, but people from all the nations, even Ireland I hear, gathering together to celebrate in the mercy of God. Through the resurrection of Jesus, the promises of God, they've been truly fulfilled. We've got a fantastic explosion of the mercy of God gushing out of Israel and flooding into the nations. And so in Christ, in the boy born of Mary, God's not just been merciful to Israel, he's been merciful to us as well. Because in Christ, we can become one of the people of God. In Christ, we can have our sins forgiven. In Christ, we can have the Spirit of God. In Christ, we can look forward to the new creation. But these rich mercies of God, they're not for everyone. One of the things we learn about God already, remember? He brings down the proud 
and lifts up the humble. We're given the example of Mary and the example of Israel. It's the same for us to receive the wonderful mercy of God. We need to be humble before him. Now, later on in Luke's gospel, uh, he spells out what our humility looks like in practice. You can read it for yourself in uh, chapters like 18 and 19. But let me summarize it for you. There's two big ways that we're to be humble before the Lord. And the first one is that we're to be humble before him in confession. It's to be willing to admit to God that we're wrong. That we've said and we've done and we've thought things that God finds personally offensive. And there's things we should have said and we should have done, but we didn't. And we were wrong. And that God's ways are right and we haven't lived by them. And to be humble before God is to admit it. But more than just being humble enough to confess our sins to God, it's being humble enough to admit that what we deserve is punishment from him. To own up to the fact that we all deserve God's judgment and that's all we deserve. For him to rain down on us in fury upon our sin, to obliterate, condemn and destroy us, to be humble before him is to recognise that that punishment is what we deserve. And when we've been humbled like this before God himself, when we've come to terms with our own sin and our own guilt, then in humility we beg God for mercy, that he'd take our punishment away. Ever been a time when you've gone to say sorry to someone and you're actually not sure what their reaction is going to be and maybe this is it and the friendship will be over and they'll never speak to you again? Well, friends, the wonder of it all is that it is not like that with God because we know that he loves to lift up the humble. He loves to show mercy. That Jesus died for sin once and for all. He took the punishment. He's already won forgiveness. And so the promise of God is that if in humility we confess our sins to him, he will forgive us. And so, friends, I need to ask you this morning, have you come before God in true humility, confessed your sins to him, begged for mercy from him? Because if you're too proud to do it, please hear the warning. God brings down the proud. And his eventual bringing down of the proud is that they will have to suffer their own punishment for their sin. But for those of us who are humble before God in confessing our sin, God lifts us up, doesn't he? With a great joy of forgiveness and acceptance by God, the assurance of eternal life where God himself is our delight and our spirits rejoice in God our Saviour. And for those of us who have been humbled by God like this, those of us who know this wonderful joy of forgiveness, we're reminded that our humility before God goes beyond confessing our sin. It's an ongoing humility before him. We're to be humble before him in continuing obedience, constantly turning away from the sins we've confessed and turning away from new sins we give into, and in humility acknowledging God as our Lord. And living his way, not ours. And that makes perfect sense when you think about it. 
I mean, imagine someone comes up, comes up to, to me over morning tea and uh, they rip my watch off my wrist and they smash it on the ground. But immediately they apologise. Uh, I didn't know what came over me. Please forgive me. And me, being the nice person I am, I forgive them. Next week, over morning tea, they do the same thing to my new watch that I bought during the week. And they smash it too. But immediately they apologise again. And me, being the nice guy I am, I forgive them again. And then the next week it happens all over again. And as we stare at my third disintegrated watch, they fumble some apology about thinking I was somebody else, and me, being the gullible person I am, I forgive them again. But the next week, when it happens the fourth time around, I finally see through it all. I see that they're just taking me for a ride, they're having fun at my expense, and so I draw the line. No more forgiveness, no more pretending that they're serious when they apologise. The friendship's broken. No more taking me for a fool. They can't ask me to forgive them when all they want to do is keep smashing my watches. Now, do you think for a moment we could play these sorts of games with God? Of course we can't. God can't be mocked. We can't take God for a fool. We can't ask him to forgive us of our sins if all we want to do is keep on sinning. That's not being humble before God Almighty. That's arrogantly trying to abuse the mercy of God for your own personal pleasure. No, true humility before God is seen in continual obedience to him. And that's not drudgery. That's a joy. And we know it's true. Because we've already admitted to God that our sin was wrong. We've already confessed to him our guilt and our sin. And we've, we've admitted that his ways are right. And his ways are good. To humbly obey God. We don't drag our heels. That's our delight. That's our joy. So here's a few examples. Husbands, are you joyfully laying down your life for your wife? Like God tells you to in various places. And I, look, I mean more than, you know, happily helping out with the dishes every now and again. I mean, do you know the joy of making those hundreds of little daily decisions where you constantly put your wife's needs ahead of your own? Do you know that joy? And wives... Do you know the joy of submitting to your husbands and letting him look after you? Dads, do you know the joy of bringing up your children in the training and instruction of the Lord? Investing in the spiritual life of your children as God tells us to as dads. To know the delight of raising our children as servants of Christ along with us. It's a joy to obey God in this. Children, are you joyfully obeying your parents, knowing that God gave your mum and dad to you to teach you and to train you and to look after you? And so you trust God when he says, obey your parents, and you do it joyfully. Students, are you joyfully showing respect to your teachers, knowing that everything we do is to be done unto the Lord? Workers, are you joyfully working diligently, even if it's a job that you don't really like, but knowing that it's for the Lord Jesus? Church family, are we joyfully bearing with one another in love? Are we forgiving each other just as in Christ God has forgiven us? Are we eager to be reconciled, running away from bitterness and resentment and grudges, doing all we can to avoid them? Brothers and sisters, there is a great joy in knowing the goodness of God, a great joy in living humbly before him in confession and in obedience. So let's together walk humbly before the Lord. 
because he loves to lift up the humble. He'll give us the grace. He'll give us the strength and the joy to persevere. He's lifted us up to the heights of his throne. He's adopted us into his family. He's given us his spirit to live within us. God lifts up the humble higher than we could ever dare to imagine. And so in humility, we confess our sins to him. And in humility, we obey our great God and Father. And our spirits, well, they rejoice in God our Saviour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the delight and the joy it is to share in your goodness, to have you as our God, to have you as our Saviour, to know you through Jesus Christ. Father, what a joy it is. And thank you for the confidence we can have to admit our sin to you, knowing that you love to lift up the humble, that you love to show mercy and to forgive. And Father, thank you for the joy of being able to live a life in obedience to you. Father, help us to understand what rich privilege it is that we would belong to you through nothing less than the blood of your Son. Father, that we might live for your praise and glory today, tomorrow, Father, forever. In the name of Christ. Amen.